The greatest mission left to the church is seen in Mark 16. We're very familiar with this, verse 15 and 16. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. We just read here the main reason for the existence of the church. The main reason for your existence and for mine to get this good news from your neighbor to the ends of the earth. The early church was brilliant. Do you know why? They kept the main thing the main thing. Somehow they had the ability to not get distracted by a thousand and one other good things that they could do. They kept their focus on the great commission left by Jesus. It's my prayer this morning, today, online and house. The Spirit of God will apprehend your heart. And there'll be something that will be deposited in you that says, I'm going to keep the main thing, the main thing. Something in you that's going to say, I refuse to be distracted. I refuse to be sidetracked down to byways and alleyways and other places that take me away from the purpose of my existence, why God gives me breath on a daily basis to fulfill the Great Commission. Anybody with me today? Acts 2.47, here's the blueprint for the church. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Every day. Not just Sunday. Every day. That means that the main role wasn't the Sunday church. The main role was the marketplace and the streets. Acts 5 verse 14, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. Now, this should be happening in every church across the globe. But we know it's not. Do you know why it's not? We've stopped making the main thing the main thing. We just started doing all these other things. And quite frankly, listen carefully, the devil really doesn't care. He said, good on you. Go for it. Do this. Do that. Do the other thing. Just leave my captives alone. Even bless what you do as long as you leave the unsaved in his clutches so he can take them into the fires of hell. That's why every spirit force demon from hell has got a target in your life. Stop you sharing Jesus. Stop you doing anything for the evangelization of the world. So you're being attacked by forces continually. And so am I. And so is every church. C.S. Lewis said, great, great Christian writer, highly regarded, said this, strong, strong words. But listen, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men to Christ. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. Wow. God became man for no other purpose than to save the lost. Aren't those strong words, folks? And what that means is this building, all the buildings across the globe, all the sermons, all the songs are useless if we're not reaching the lost. I trust the Spirit of God will speak to you this morning. Because you can hear this here, nothing will change. If God touches you here, everything will change. So the reason we fill in these forms today 
give to mission is we go beyond so that great numbers will be saved. Listen to Matthew 9, 36 to 38. It's really interesting. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful. Let's say that together. The harvest truly is plentiful. All right? But, everyone say but. But. What's the problem? The laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now listen carefully. Edward Miller, the great revival in Argentina, he actually said this. The Bible actually doesn't tell us to pray for souls. It says pray for laborers. Pray for laborers. You're praying for your family to be saved? Great. Pray for laborers. To God will send people to talk to them that they will respond to. Pray for laborers. Now, we need to pray for souls, but if we only pray for souls and not for laborers, we're not going to get the results we want to get. So we pray, 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 and this is what the big criticism of praying churches is. Well, you pray, we'll get out there and do the job. We've got to pray and do the job. We've got to pray and work hard. My philosophy is we pray harder than anyone else and we work harder than anyone else. It's not one or the other. Pray for laborers to be sent into. I pray for this, my my own family. I say, God, send laborers into my harvest field. People that they will listen to because they won't always listen to me. Hard to believe that. So pray for laborers, but then be the answer to your own prayer and be the laborer. For someone, Isaiah 6 verse 8, here am I, send me. See, Satan's goal has always been to ring fence the gospel, to stop its spread. Now, some of you may be sitting, oh man, I didn't come to listen to a mission message. (laughs) Well, think about this. You're probably listening to the most important message you can listen to. Because there's a reason for the existence of the church. If this doesn't interest you, ask God to touch your heart. Because this is the whole point of why we're here. To be equipped to go out there and reach lost people. So the enemy tried to keep the gospel to the Jews only and not to the Gentiles. That's you and me. Thank God he failed. Otherwise you and I would not be saved today. So his goal now is if he can't stop you being saved, he's got to make sure you don't spread the gospel. It's always, it's always the goal. And as I said, he doesn't mind all the other things we do. We need to understand this. See, the world is not impacted by powerful meetings inside churches. In fact, quite frankly, they don't care if the glory of God is in here. They don't care if we are the manifest presence and people are being touched by God and healed. They don't know. They don't care. Now, we want powerful meetings in here, but I want to suggest to you, friends, we need powerful meetings out there, out in the marketplace where the lost people are, where the broken people are, where the hurting people are, not that there's none of those in here as well. But did you know that Jesus and the apostles did most of their miracles, not in the synagogues, in the marketplace, where you work, in your street, where you live 24-7. You're only here in church a few hours a week at best. You're out there the rest of the time. And that's where God wants you, because that's where the lost people are. That's where the broken people are. That's where healings need to take place. So it's essential that we go beyond. Let me give you an unbelievable verse. Now listen carefully. May this verse speak to your spirit. Acts 26, 18. Here's our job. To open their eyes 
in order to turn them from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to God. Think about it. Those family members of yours that are not saved right now, those friends, those neighbors of yours that are not saved right now, they are walking in darkness. They can't see where they're going. That's why they'll make a hash of their lives. They're going to trip over everything, every obstacle. They're in darkness. But beyond that, they're under the power of Satan. I want you to think of that unsaved family member or members or friends or neighbors. Think about this. They are under the power of Satan. Does that scare anybody? What's he going to do if they're under his power? Wow, he is going to mess with them big time. So our job is to get them away from the power of Satan to the power of God. It's very challenging. This is very, very challenging. Martin Luther said this, it is the duty of every Christian to be Christ to his neighbor. Not to be just a Christian to his neighbor, but to be Christ. Incarnational Christianity. Different. Simple definition of evangelism, those who know, telling those who don't. Who's getting excited? One person. Well, by the end of it, we'll get 10. R.C. Sproul said this, the gospel is only good news when we understand the bad news. Do you know what stirred me like crazy to pray and fast for my dad when he was given three weeks to live? Do you know what got me going? I understood the bad news. I understood without Christ, he was going to a lost eternity to burn in the fires of hell forever and ever and ever, never to end. I could not bear that thought for my dad or my mum. And so I, I got on my knees. I cried out to God. I fasted. I prayed. I sought God unrelenting. Fasted one day, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I don't know how long. Others joined me. We interceded. Why? Because I understood the bad news. The reason we don't evangelize is we don't understand the bad news. And the bad news is bad news. And so finally my dad got to, uh, we got him saved. Thank God for that. Got my mum saved. Thank God for that. But I tell you what, it gave me a passion for souls. Yeah. Gave me a passion for lost people, but also gave me an incredible faith that no one but no one is beyond the reach of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. None of your family are beyond the reach of Christ. None of them are beyond the reach of the power of God through prayer, through fasting, through praying for laborers. Every one of them, we must believe, will be saved in Jesus' name. But keep praying. Keep praying for laborers. So, I know this may not be your favorite subject, but I hope by the end of this service you're going to think, man, I'm staying for the second round for this. This is so good. I need to hear this. Think about that, by the way. God stirs you to stay for a second round. Do it. This is probably the most important message that you'll hear. Not the one you'll love the most, but the most important one. We can all do our part. Let me give you three keys, three things that you can do. Number one is you can pray. In AD 578, Listen carefully to this. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart as you hear this story. 
Let it do something in you that will revolutionize your prayer life. You ready for this? Come on, open up your spirit. Say, God, I'm ready to encounter you right now. I'm ready to meet with you, God, right now. Here we go. AD 578, French Princess Bertha moved to Canterbury. This is in the UK, in Kent, to marry its ruler, Athelbert. I think that's how you say it, a pagan king. His new bride had a strong Christian faith. The king wanted to encourage her, so he built Bertha a small chapel where she prayed daily for her husband to be saved. For 18 years, the prayers were not answered. For 18 years, faithfully praying daily, the prayers were not answered. AD 596, a mission team came from Rome, preached to king, and he was saved. Within one year, 10,000 people followed Athelbert in converting to Christianity. Canterbury became the base of the Catholic Church in England and is a spiritual home for 85 million Anglicans around the world. Listen carefully. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you now. Bertha left no writings, no record of ever speaking publicly. Yet through her prayers, she had an incredible impact on the evangelization, not only of England, but of nations. Bertha probably thought she was just praying for her husband, but was in fact praying for generations to come. You will never, ever know the impact of your prayers this side of eternity. You will be astounded, and the rewards in heaven will be incredible. Pray as often as you can. Get to every prayer meeting that you can, because the impact of your prayers are like a ripple that's going out across the globe into the nations of the world. And when you get to heaven, your rewards will leave you in utter, utter amazement. Now, here's a thought. If you know how to pray, don't get sidetracked doing other things. Mm-hmm. If you, well, we all know how to pray. But you know, one of the challenges, we've got to guard our prayer. Because you know what's going to happen? Is I, as I was putting this message together, this was the thought came to me. The enemy, if we know how to pray well, he's got to sidetrack us from praying too much. So you know what he'll do? He'll offer us great opportunities to do other things for the kingdom and minimize our praying. The devil is smart. He doesn't just sidetrack us with bad things. He sidetracks us with really good things. Really good things. The enemy of God's best, do you know what it is in your life? Second best. And that's the problem. Because second best feels so good and so right and so fantastic. Just the thought. Second key to going beyond is the power of God. Acts 5, verse 12 and 14. Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. They were all with one accord on Solomon's porch, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. There it is again. Multitudes, men and women, all the time. The supernatural was a key to the success of the early church and multitudes being saved. So here's the deal, folks. You know, we're on this journey as a church and campuses uh, to seeing a restoration of the early church power of God. You know, we're, we're really excited about the power of God. We're going to get healed, set free, delivered, and all the rest of it. And we're seeing that happen. It's fantastic. 
But the bigger reason, I believe, for all of this, friends, is to reach the multitudes of lost people out there. When they see the power of God, they're going to come flocking to Jesus. They're going to be radically saved and born again. We need the power of God to fulfill the Great Commission. And that's why God's put us on this journey. We're a church called to reach the masses. And as the power of God increases, you watch the multitudes start getting saved. I recall a, a Sunday night not that long ago, from that side right down to there, responding to the altar call. Uh, the, the, place, the, whole, the whole thing was packed out. I've only seen it once before. So it's happened twice, I believe, in Church Unlimited on a Sunday. And, but friends, that is going to happen on a regular basis. Multitudes, multitudes giving their lives to Jesus. Is anyone getting excited about this? I've got a false excitement today. All right. So Mark 16 says, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Hold out your hands if you don't mind. Hope you washed them this morning. (laughs) Hope they're clean and not dirty. All right. Say with me, there's healing in these hands. Come on. There's healing in these hands. Say it again. There's healing in these hands. Tell the person next to you, there's healing in your hands. This is, friends, this is not a fancy thought. This is not a a lovely thought. This is Bible. This is Bible. This is the Word of God. Lay hands on the sick. Every believer, they will be healed. Do you know why you don't see a lot of people healed? Because you don't pray for enough people that are sick. If you did, I guarantee if you prayed for 500 people, one of them will get healed. The problem is we pray for 10, no one's healed, so we quit. No, no, persevere. Pray for enough people. There's healing in your hands. How exciting is that? (laughs) So you don't have to plead for it. You already have it. I reckon the key to some of our family and friends being saved is when we demonstrate the power of God. That's a thought. I'm really thrilled at the increase in the power of God and healings that we're seeing in our church across our campuses. It's fantastic. But it's just a start. Let me give you one out of Kaitaia. A young man by the name of Detroit. He brings someone new to Limitless, that's the youth, and church on a regular basis. Not long ago, he brought his neighbor, Mike, who received an instant healing of his neck in the service. Blown away by the power of God, he then went forward and gave his life to Jesus Christ. When you give to mission, that's what helps us get people like Mike saved. And there are thousands, tens of thousands of more Mikes and Mike S's out there that would need to be saved and giving their lives to Christ. Never hesitate to pray for the unsaved. Never hesitate. I heard this story of um, an unsaved man. He injured his knee, walking with a limp, and the pain was increasing. A Christian came alongside him and prayed for him. So while he is drinking his beer, which we don't drink, do we? Do we? No, all right, just checking, just checking. While he's drinking his beer and smoking his cigarette, we don't do either. But if you do and need deliverance, that's okay. God will set you free. But while he's drinking his beer and smoking a cigarette, 
a total non-believer by his own confession, God healed him. God loves the unsaved. God just loves them so bad. He'll heal anyone. He'll heal anyone if we will pray for them. And I wonder whether sometimes unsaved have more faith than we have because they've not been prayed for 20 times and nothing happened. And so they can believe for prayer and be healed. I got this um, testimony. It's, it's a few weeks old, and so, but this is what came out of our conference. This is stuff that's happening. Uh, a few weeks ago, I, came for, I, I come from a broken marriage and used to cry myself to sleep every night. Since being prayed for at conference, I've not cried a single night, nor taken antidepressants and feel good. I mean, it's a few, bit old that one, so I trust that it's, it's still all true and happening. Pray for the unsaved. The third key to we go beyond is generosity. I want you to listen really carefully. Over many years of walking with God, I've observed a lot of things. But one of the things I've observed is this that there is a massive connection between giving generously to God and the blessing of God on a person's life. I can't tell you how it works. I just know that it does. Many people that have been powerfully used by God, you know, not just in preaching, but in, you know, the power of God, maybe in serving or whatever it might be, the anoint, whatever it might be, gifts of the Spirit, those who have been powerfully used, used by God were so often very, very, very generous givers. Not just generous givers. They were very, very, very generous givers. And that somehow opened the blessing of God over their lives. Now, it's not how much you give. It's a sacrifice you give with. Remember the widow's might? So it's not really the amount it's the heart and the depth of sacrifice. Someone put it this way, and I hate this thought. It's not how much you give, it's how much you keep. Mm. Scary thought, scary thought in our day of materialism, isn't it? Malachi 3 verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven... And pour out such blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. Just want you to think about that verse for a while. It's not often that God talks about opening the windows of heaven. It's one of the rare, rare occasions. There may be one other time, but God is a promise here from God. How many of you know that God can't lie? About half of us, all right. Some of you obviously still think he does lie, but I assure you he doesn't lie. All right, just an assurance. Cross campuses, our God does not lie, all right? So if he says, you give generously, he will open the windows of heaven over your life, then it has to happen. Somewhere along the line, it has to happen. God cannot be proven false. God cannot lie. I know that this is true. It's my own testimony. It's my own testimony. God has opened heaven over my life. You know, 
in about 40 odd years or whatever it is of being a Christian, I've never once, not once, missed my tithes. Not only once, not even a half a tithe. Never once missed it. And always given much over the years to mission and other things. And I see a lot of the favor of God that's, that rests on my life, doors that have opened I never would have believed open. I believe a lot of it's connected to this one verse because God's word cannot be proven wrong. It says here, Spurgeon said this, that great preacher said this, listen carefully, it is beyond the realms of possibility to outgive God. Even if I give all my worth to God, he'll find a way to give back to me much, much more. Wow. That is true. You know, there have been men and women of God over history. They have given their entire fortune to God. Entire fortune. Every last cent. And guess what? They've become some of the greatest men and women of God in history. Because God's word cannot lie. You see, our problem is this. I'm just going to wake everybody up right now. $50. See, all those heads just went up like that. All those people are, ah. People love the, love the feel of money, don't they? Love the look of money. I got, every eye is on me right now. I can just tell. Even across campus, I know every eye is on me right now because people think I'm going to give it away. They've forgotten that I'm an Indian. I ain't giving nothing away. <laughs> I'll give you this 50 if you give me 100. That's the deal. Anyone up for it? 50 for 100. This is an anointed 50. Come on. <laughs> but our problem is, friends... We hold on to this with every fiber of our being. No one, no one offering bag comes back. You're not getting my, this is my $50. And we hold on to it. We, we, we grip it like, you know, not literally because it's in the bank or where it is, but we just, it's so hard, isn't it? To, to even to fill in this form, to, to put in that extra zero on the end. I always tell people, if I'm out of the information desk, I always tell the people on the desk, I say, add a zero. Just add a zero. Zero is nothing. They never listen to me. I'm only wanting to bless the person giving. I mean, I didn't get the money. So anyway, letting this thing go. You know, none of you are like this, are you? Let it go and open the windows of heaven over your life. Come on. Get that sellotape off your hands or whatever it is that holds on to it. And you know, the more you let it go, the more you can let it go. Yeah. And the more that you let it go, the more you can let go. I've found with my giving, I've just kept it over the years, just kept increasing it and increasing it and increasing it. And when you do it that way, it doesn't hurt. You don't suddenly go, go from giving nothing to giving $1,000. You just give little by little and it increases. All right. So be generous, but not only with money. Generous in every area of your life. Walter Nishioka. New service was good at a Hawaiian hotel where we ate brunch on Wednesdays. But he found out just how good it was when he was offered something definitely not on the menu, one of the waiter's own kidneys. Mr. Nishioka, age 70, was seriously ill with a kidney disease and needed a transplant urgently. He'd almost given up hope of finding a matching donor until this waiter Jose Rocasa, 52, volunteered one of his own. The transplant was successful. In 22 years, Mr. Nishioka had eaten at this hotel and Jose had always been his waiter. Watch this. Jose said, Mr. Nishioka has always been kind. There's a thought. There's a thought. As you go to the supermarket, 
as you get your coffee, as you go to a restaurant, as you talk to someone in church. Mr. Nishioka had always been kind and tipped generously. He was able to let that $50 note go. May not have been 50. And uh, Jose said, I just wanted to help him. For years, we had this friendship in which he comes to lunch. I do my best to make him very happy, and he's always good to me in return. So, of course, I say, don't worry. I can give you a kidney. Mr. Nishioka so generously, with kindness, don't miss that part, and finances, and the windows of heaven opened over his life. He reaped miraculously. God's word is without fault, without error, and cannot fail. Giving opens heaven over your life. We all love Philippians 4.19, don't we? My God shall supply all you need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But do you know the context of this verse? That promise is only given to those who give to mission. To mission. It's only given to them. You know, in the United States, New Zealand is probably much the same. 40% of Christians never give any money to the church. And 60% never give to missions, but they all claim Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all my needs, and guess what? It doesn't work for them. Thank you for the overwhelming response on that point. In 1 Kings 17, a widow of Zarephath provides her last meal to Elijah. And what happens is a time of famine. The bin of flour does not run out. It's multiplied miraculously. The jar of oil doesn't run dry, it doesn't run out. She's looked after throughout the famine. It doesn't stop there, friends. Miraculous provision. But then her son dies. Guess what? The prophet comes and her son is raised from the dead. Why? Because giving opens the windows of heaven and miracles flow in abundance. There's no greater cause, I believe, on the planet than to give to missions. Reaching the unsaved, Without Christ, end up in a lost eternity. Here's a list of just a few of the areas that we give to. We've got our food bank, breakfast in schools, Bible in school teachers, love this city, New Zealand and beyond, missionaries and nations. There's a whole list of nations that's uh, recorded on here that we give to all over, all over the globe. Um, India Evangelical Mission, the church planting organization, Assembly of God Believers Church, Bruce Hills, New Zealand Ministries, a whole lot of those. Uh, or some of those, David Pierce, the Bible Society, Children's Bible Ministries, the Poor and Needy, Emergency Relief and Earthquake Storms, Pandemics, COVID-19, School Stationery, Mainly Music, Christmas Walkthrough. Through your giving to these ministries, multitudes have already been saved. Thousands have already been saved. Thanks to your giving over the years to mission. But many more will yet be saved. And you're going to meet some of them in heaven. I just can't imagine, friends, How are you going to feel when they come up and say, hey, thank you so much? You can say, what for? You gave to mission. As a result of your giving, someone was able to share the gospel with me. I'm saved. I'm in heaven because you gave. Imagine the unspeakable joy that's going to fill your heart at that moment when these people give you thanks. Do you know that giving deeply touches the heart of God? Deeply? Listen to this. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Philippians 4.18 about giving. It's a sweet-smelling aroma. Mm. An acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. We can all be involved in the main thing. 
in the Great Commission. We can all keep the main thing, the main thing. Very simply, we can pray. Don't ever forget Bertha. Her prayers impacted many parts of the globe. Just from her prayer room. Wow. Maybe one of the greatest ministries possible. We can learn to use the healing that's in our hands. Minister God's power. We can all do that. It's not complicated. If you don't know how to do it, you just put your hand on somebody and say, in Jesus' name, be healed. Simple. And we can give generously. If you engage in these three areas, here's a promise from God. You will never, ever regret it. Let's, Church Unlimited, and every church, keep the main thing, the main thing, in Jesus' name. Amen.